We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, John of the Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. Coming at you on what has been an interesting day after, um, day after, day after what? I don't know how to describe that Hawks loss even 24 hours later. Um, Special guest tonight, the most special of guests because there's only one person responsible for the creation of Knicks Film School, and that is the former Mr. Knicks Film School himself, Jeffrey Ballone. Jeffrey? I want everybody who's listening on the podcast right now to stop what they're doing and go to the YouTube channel to see what you are wearing for this episode. Do you want me to try to describe what you're wearing? And it's not only <laughs> I what you're wearing. I would be interested. I would be interested in hearing what you describe it. So that is a... I don't want to call that a black fedora because it's not a fedora. It's a black... A, I want to call it like... It's not a cowboy hat either. What? what how would you describe that? See, you just described it perfect, right? It's not a cowboy hat. It's not a fedora. It's in between, right? And that, that's, that's what's great about it. And then there is... It's all black, by the way. It's a black... The hat is black. The shirt is black. Black vest. And then there are... I count... One, two, three... I can't tell if they're silver or gold chains. I, do I, I count three. Silver. There might be four, though. Silver? Silver. You got it. So, Andrew Claudio, who is a Mets fan. I don't know if you've heard... Have you heard of the Mets? Do you watch the Mets? Who? For, <laughs> for this episode, I'll pretend I watch the Mets. How's that? There you go. There you, so, go. There you, you go. resemble one Timmy Trumpet, who I am I am familiar with who that person is. 
I, if you, as I say sometimes, if he walked in my living room right now, I wouldn't know who he is. So I've never seen him. But apparently, you're. This is a, a spitting image. If I had to describe it, that's literally what I would say, JB. Right, the chains in particular. It. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. But this was not intentional. No, no. It's just. It's just. Uh, there's. I was hoping there's nothing similar. It, it's just me, right? But uh, I'll take Timmy Trumpet. I think Timmy Trumpet, without realizing it, stole the look from you. Um, yes, it's been a while. It's been a while. I feel like it's been, if I had to guess, I would say a year. I don't know. When, when, do you remember the last time we we were we talked on a podcast? No, but the theme never changes, right? I mean, it's uh, <laughs> here we are in a, in another moment as Knicks fans. I was thinking today about how I wanted to start off the conversation. Um, we're we're, we're going to keep it. Keep it light, I guess. We're going to try to keep it light today. Um, the day after this, this. Did you watch the Atlanta game, by the way? I will not blame you one bit if you didn't yeah, I watch did. it. Well, I, I will admit, I was, I was flipping with the baseball. You had the no hitter going there. That's true. And then I actually turned everything off and went to bed early last night. So I missed the end of the no hitter and I missed the end of the comeback. But I knew, and I think as you wrote in the newsletter, that Knicks lead wasn't a Knicks lead uh, once we once we got past halftime. Um, Oh, I knew before that. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so no, but, but I was watching. Okay. So you, you got a sense of what was, what was happening. Yeah. I was thinking about, so I was thinking about ways to start off because I, I always think back to, for some reason with you, my mind gravitate towards, gravitates towards 2019 and specifically the summer of 2019. I guess you mm-hmm. could say the, the year leading up to it, because that's when KFS really took off with all the aggregation and, and everything else. Um, but summer of 2019, you know, K, KD and Kyrie choose the Nets. They don't choose the Knicks. You kind of take the summer to, to be in your own thoughts. And then as we're on the brink of this, um, I don't know what the hell they were calling that season. The dogs season, right? <laughs> Who let the dogs yeah. out? Julius Randle and Marcus Morris and Bobby Portis, you were like, you know what? I don't got it in me anymore. <laughs> I can't do this. And it's funny because now we're sitting here and it's a little more than three years later. And it turns out that this great, wonderful event that the Knicks had been building up to for more than a year, it was the best thing in the world. It seems like that they avoided that, that happenstance um, taking place. But at the same time, we just went through another summer that reminded me a lot of the summer of 2019, in which there was all this buildup. And I could see us sitting here three years from now and being like, man, can you imagine if the Knicks gave up a whole bunch of unprotected draft picks for Donovan Mitchell? And now, but now we're sitting and like, much like that 2019 20 season started off, you know, as bad as it it possibly could have, um, you know, whatever it was. Two and four and what four and eighteen? Yeah, four and eighteen. This season seems to be starting off in a similar fashion. So I guess with that, I will just open the floor to you. What what are you what are your big picture thoughts on what's going on right now with the Knicks, if if any? Well, this is why me and you you uh match, right? So I literally when I we text earlier about the outline of this show, I had typed out the whole text where I was gonna say to you. I think a good like starting point would be when the original Knicks Film School account got suspended. 
and where we were at that point versus now. And then that's your, and I said, you know what, Mac, they'll figure it out. That, that will be, and then that's what you lead with anyway. So, so I just love that. Um, what was it? A week, before, my, a week before? A week before? Days before. Days, was it days? I think it was two, two days before because Mark Berman uh, literally tweeted out the next day. It was an ominous sign when uh, Nick's film school got suspended. <laughs> that was like the next day. So if you think yeah. about like, if you pretend the original Nick's film school was like a person that died and disappeared um, and they were like, Okay, the last thing you see is we're two days before this free agency period. And we won't tell you how it happened, but we'll just tell you that Durant and Kyrie will go to New York and it will turn into a disaster. <laughs> Everyone would have said, oh, okay. They, they went to the Knicks and the Knicks found a way to, to mess it up. And, and it's just, you know, it, it is interesting the way, um, the way it, it turned out, obviously, quite the opposite. Um, but I think to your point, then connecting it to this summer, it's, you know, we, we can get on the nets and it's fun to do that. Right. But it's yeah. just like every NBA team is in this situation. They are held hostage to getting these star players at all costs. And, you know, unfortunately, or if you're a Knicks fan, fortunately for the nets, they, they literally just got the worst possible combination that, that you could get. Yeah, I I mean it's it is interesting to look around the league right now at this time and like you know there's a lot of there's a lot of stars out there. Some of them are on teams that are doing pretty well, some of them are on teams that are not doing so well. But whereas 3 years ago there was obviously this mad dash, you know, this race to get as many stars and like you know, you just get the stars and you figure it out later. And I think that has continued to hold true for the most part in the intervening years. Um, obviously, Cleveland paid a, a massive haul for for Donovan Mitchell, but I don't know. It, it does seem like there is a bit of a shift in course in terms of. I don't want to say I don't. I hate using always going bringing it back to the word culture, but like, and we talked about that so much, right? We always wondered, and you yep. in the year after, you know, they didn't get the guys. You were, you know, you were one of the first ones. On the like, maybe we shouldn't be shouldn't be buying into what Steve Mills is selling here, and right. uh, you, you turned out to be pretty pretty smart where that was where that was concerned. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like it's about what is your what is your organization made out of, and like mm-hmm. what are its values and and all all those sorts of things. And I don't know, and I don't know if that leaves the Knicks in a, a, any better of a position because we're sitting here now, and like, granted, they're not beholden to any stars. There are no stars here, you know, real, real stars. Um, but yet they've continued to find a way to, I don't know, disappoint, disappoint people and even regardless. Yeah. I mean, culture is what we have a lot of talented people covering this sport as well as others. And you need to create narratives when you're writing about them, especially every day. Yeah. Um, and culture is, you know, like, you know, you, you get to like some of the people in the organization that you cover. And then because of that, you, you write about culture. I mean, um, we saw with the Nets, right? Like how quickly it was like everything that they were that we claim, like that's why Durant and Kyrie would want to go there. They instantly became the opposite the second they signed, yeah. right? So this wasn't like, 
you know, okay, they're joining a culture in the NBA, especially where, where so few players are on the roster. Um, your culture is your best players. So the second yeah. you reset who your best players are, you reset your culture. So this idea that you're joining a culture, I think what it is, is we confuse that with joining um, maybe the right role players or joining like uh, a legacy, right? So like the Lakers have that, right? So I the mean, Lakers that's why have we that. have, right? Like we have that dumpster fire now in LA. It's like, <laughs> Well, it's still the Lakers. It's still the Lakers. We all will watch when they when they stream about the Showtime Lakers. We'll still all watch about that. And that's what creates that's the true culture. It's not that, you know, we got the right trainers in here and we do it the right way. That's just all that's all just all what they try to sell you to believe that those things matter. But again, none of those things matter the second you get a star player in the door who wants to do it a different way. Um, and, and I think that's just a reality. I think the Lakers are in their own category. I don't even know if you could say that there's another team in the Lakers category. Honestly, in professional sports, I mean, I know you obviously cover the Mets with the Metropolitan Newsletter and, and uh, Mets Fix, but like the Yankees... I don't know. Is there any cachet left in those pinstripes after how the last year has gone? I mean, you, you could probably tell that from afar. Um, and like you could look at the Lakers right now and yes, they are a dumpster fire. But at the same time, there is still an appeal about that team yeah. and about that city. And I don't know, will that ever change? Not as long as LA is LA and LA is always going to be LA to, you know, to a certain extent. So I almost think that they're one of one. And I think you nailed it when you when you said your your culture is is directed by your star player because if you look at like what have been the most sustaining cultures in the league, the, like it's it's where is Steph Curry playing? Where is Tim Duncan playing? Obviously, Tim Duncan's been retired for a little while, but like right. And where is Steph Curry playing? And we saw just what happened, obviously, with Golden State, right? True. So I mean, but they just but I mean I know they're three and four right now, but it seems like it didn't break them, right? It didn't fracture the team. Maybe it will. I don't know. But it doesn't seem like that to me. But, no, right. But I guess what I'm saying is if you're writing like a textbook on what is culture, you wouldn't necessarily write it the way it has gone with the Warriors. What will win out is do they have star players who can perform the way they need to perform to win? Yes. So, so again, it goes back to, you know, the, the Dodgers are a good example, right? I mean, they ended up signing Trevor Bauer. Right. Like he does not add to your culture. He ended up obviously taking away from their culture. But yes. yet they have guys like Clayton Kershaw and Justin Turner who set a good culture and people can write, well, that's why they're good. It's like, no, they're just good because they have a lot of good players. Um, and I think it's, you know, I guess what I'm getting at is I just think the culture thing, it's a nice thing to talk about. Um, and I think it's true if you have, if your best players create a culture and they stay there to sustain it, then whatever they've created is your culture. So like the Jordan Bulls, they had a culture of, of a work ethic with him while he was there. But you can't then say when he's gone, the organization, the people who run the team are the ones who, who can create that culture because that's not true. And I think that's what we sometimes get confused about when we're looking at and we're talking about ownership, we're talking about how teams are built. The front office doesn't create the culture. The players, the players do. And look at, 
you know, I, I didn't even mean to bring this up, but look at the Spurs today. Spurs have been inarguably the the culture setters in the NBA over the last 25 years. And then there's news that comes out today that they have potentially yeah. were covering up, you know, a uh, player like exposing himself to a female employee like nine times, I think is what it's alleged. We'll, we'll see what happens with that. I think everything you're saying is is spot on. It is just it's really interesting to me because we came off that summer three years ago after they got all this cap space and had nothing to do with it and spent it on all these players that didn't matter. And the, the MO at that time, and I think it's, it's an MO that has kind of, it hasn't really changed in the three years since three plus years since now, where it's just like, you know, you're a team in New York, get good, right? Show other, whether you want to call it, show a team, show people that your culture is good, show people that you're not a dumpster fire, show people that you need to put one foot in front of the other, the whole thing, you know, and then that led to, the great season they had two years ago where everybody was like, okay, this is what we needed to do. And then every, it's like, uh, and and the funniest part of that is the way, the biggest way that a lot of people thought that they accomplished that goal, get good, right? Get competent, show that you could win here is by hiring Tom Thibodeau. And if you're, if you bring it back to the culture conversation, if you're, if you're going to pinpoint one guy at the moment, at least in the opinion of most people who is absolutely destroying the culture, in the organization, most people would say it's Tom Thibodeau. I none of this shit matters. Like I think you're, you know it. None of this stuff matters. It's all nonsense. It's like who are your best players? How you know how well do they fit together? Are they willing to work hard? Are they the are they you know? If you get the combination of like a really great player and a guy who's about the right things, that's all. That's all you need. You know, and nothing else matters. It well, it, it's funny, right? So it, it's like you think about. When I was in the thick of doing Nick's film school, right, running the Twitter account originally, and I wouldn't miss anything that happened, right? Like there was nothing that could happen that I would miss. Literally right? nothing. <laughs> Literally nothing. I used to think to myself, I, I kind of wish I could take a break, take it, just like not read any content, not read anything on social media, and then like come back like a month later and say, what's my perspective now? Because I think when you're so deep into it, it is hard because you all these little debates that we all have on Twitter and with our friends, it's like it, it you know, pushes you to think certain ways about certain players and about certain strategies, whatever. And then now that that's what I've done for a long period of time, just stepping completely away. And it really makes it where it drives home this point of, these little debates that we get obsessed over when we're in the weeds, they, they just, they really don't matter. It really is that, um, you know, we could argue about, okay, she played this guy a few more minutes than this guy, you know, all, all these things, right? But it really does come down to how your roster is constructed, who your top few players are, and then how those role players around them are, I'm going to say, are sequenced or timed to match those star players. And that's where I get like what people, what teams are trying to do is they're saying, we want, we can't control necessarily if we're going to get a star player, but we can control the role players. So if we draft them, develop them, then maybe they sort of like blossom at the right time when we can add a star player. So I get that's like the strategy of it, but it's just, um, 
you know, like with, with the whole Donovan Mitchell, back to your original question, it's just to me, it's like, I get that when you sit there, we can debate it. We can say, you know, how many picks did the Knicks really offer? Did they really throw in an extra pick, blah, blah, blah. It's just, okay, fine. So we can say on the merits, you didn't get that player. And it makes sense because of this transaction. But when you take that step back, you say to yourself, well, if we don't have that player, we kind of don't have anything. Because unfortunately, the way the NBA works is you need to start with that player. Like, um, so yeah, so, so that's the thing is it's just like all these things to me, it's like, I understand fans are upset with Tibbs and in the rotation of minutes. It's like, I just honestly don't think like we're, we're discussing difference between when 37 games or 43, we're not discussing the difference of like actually taking a true leap to be a competitive team that only happens through a different roster construction. You, you nailed it. And you nailed it. I was getting in, into it with a couple of people on Twitter today. Um, because I said, and, and I, after last night's game, I'm, I'm, it's probably the strongest I've come out saying like, Tib, you know, you want to say fire Tibbs? By all means, there's, he's just, there's a, there's a, a frustrating level of um, stubbornness, even for him in terms of, you know, all the different things that we always talk about. We don't need to get into it because um, we've talked about it on every post game, but like, I made the comment that like, okay, fire the coach. I don't think it makes a material difference to the ceiling of this team. And that's, I think, goes back to something that you were saying a few couple minutes ago, which is that I'm like you. I took a step away from the little conversations that happen every day on social media. And I kind of dip my toe in here and there. But I just I don't have the time anymore to get into those. And my you know, like, yeah, sure. This rotation or that rotation or this guy getting a few minutes, that guy getting a few minutes. Like, yeah, it might, it might, maybe it gets you a couple wins, but does it, does it really make a difference? Um, you know, and, and would it, would those extra couple of wins make a difference in terms of the big picture? You know, like, and as I think as we're talking about right now, I'm not sure the answer to that question is yes, because, well, relating to something else you just said, well, this front office, I think, has done a nice job putting together some of these these ancillary pieces as as guys that could look really nice on a certain roster surrounded by the right star or a couple of stars. On this roster, two, you know, two of the three top players are are RJ Barrett and Julius Randle, who are who are not not really holding up their their ends of the bargain right now. Um, you know, and Jalen Brunson is doing what he can, but we don't we don't have to get into the weeds with that. Um, yeah, I. I I, I'm with you on this, and and it it does make it tough though. And this is a transition because I want to talk to you about like maybe the difference in covering the Knicks versus the Nets or the, the Nets the Mets. Um, one one letter difference, and the letters are right next to each other in the alphabet. You could excuse me for making the mistake. Um, I think basketball, the people who consume people who are serious about consuming basketball content, like people who read my newsletter or listen to our podcast or like watch our YouTube channel or like on Nick's Twitter all day and the whole thing, all that, all that stuff. I do think like they're, they, these are the people who like enjoy these conversations by and large, maybe not all of them, but a lot of them do. And so for someone like me, as the person in front of the microphone, I think I do to some extent have to at least get into the weeds a little bit. 
you with baseball, I'm not sure that's the case. And we've talked about this a little bit about how like the way people consume baseball is very different than the way people consume basketball. Yeah, well, a couple of things. One is for for all of us who are diehard fans, meaning the people who will watch basically each night, right? Yeah. The weeds, like I think it's funny. It's like sometimes and, and this relates to the Mets a little bit too, because they had this great season. They lost in the first round. And there's a faction of fan base that basically thinks the whole season was a waste. It means nothing because now they lost. Right. Mm. And I think in and, and my argument is like, well, first of all, you know, as we're seeing with the Phillies now and, and me and Andrew were talking about this a little bit at the beginning, um, you know, the, the playoffs are such a crapshoot, especially in, in baseball. So the question you have to ask yourself is, do I put everything on this crapshoot of the playoffs to define if this is a good season or do I define it based on, you know, was my team good and competitive for the longevity of the season? And then I think where that relates to the Knicks is to say, you know, is being a fan, uh, being able to take this super logical perspective of if I take a step back, I realize none of this really matters. They're not going to win a championship with this team. The team they probably win a championship with will have, as Andrew's putting on his Mets hat, I like that. Um, <laughs> He's getting ready. That's right. Being, you know, they'll probably have maybe one or two of these players who, who contribute major minutes on the team that eventually is good. And, you know, the Laker fan will go back to the Lakers. They can relate, right? Those years where they were really bad before they won in the bubble year, they had all these guys that, that you're rooting for that were lottery picks. They kept having the number two overall pick. And all of the time you spent, like, analyzing them and breaking them down. And then at the end of the day, you trade them all. You move on to get the big fish. And then that's who you win with. Right. Well, isn't the, aren't the Nets a better example? Because what I think if you ask the average Brooklyn fan, what what was your more like the diehard Brooklyn fan? What was your more enjoyable fan experience? Watching the Kenny Atkinson slow climb, you know, the crap yeah. crap teams, but like you're getting the Joe Harris, you're getting the um uh Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, you train like yeah. and then eventually you get into that one playoff series, right? And you lose to the Sixers in six games. Well, no, that, they, yeah, they, they're a perfect example of this of a success. So the question is as a fan, I sometimes think we miss, obviously winning a championship is the goal, but I guess what you are, it's, it's some, almost like an existential question as a fan of like, your, what is your day-to-day though? Like your day-to-day is you want a team that gives you something interesting to think and talk about to distract you from the real world. Yeah. So to me, it's like, as long as the team is you know, not a complete mess. They're the, one of the, you know, for the Knicks for a long time, they're one of the worst teams in the NBA. You know, to me, a lot of fans, it's just saying, just give me a team that at least like they're, they have a chance that they can win, right? We know that probably logically they are not going to win a championship, but maybe they're like that, like you said, that scrappy team and whatever. And I can sit down, I can break down these rotation minutes And I can pretend these little subtle changes will matter because I'm a fanatic and that's, that's what I do. And I think to me, that's what being a fan is, is about. And I think with the Knicks, at least they've gotten to that level where they're no longer, you know, literally the worst team in the NBA. 
it's not impossible to imagine with with some of the players they have that if they added the right players around them and they didn't have a bunch of guys who can't shoot more than 20 feet from the basket, that they could be good, then, you know, that allows that conversation to happen. And, and I think that's, that's to me, the difference or, or how you view it as a fan versus how you view it just kind of logical stepping away. Two things. One, I think you just perfectly vocalized why so many people for so many people last year and now if you go by the last few days this year so far have been some of the most frustrating fan experiences they've had because we do have the nitty gritty worth getting into about lineup data and like this player, you know, the team is performing better in this area when this player is on the floor and like these guys work really well together and all of that stuff you flush down the toilet with this head coach because he's just going to do what he wants to do and he's you know, for to many people, he's just obstinate when it comes to to making those little adjustments where it's like, oh, let's see this wrinkle, let's see that wrinkle. There are no wrinkles. It's the same, mm-hmm. you know, it's the same thing. And real quick, the other thing that came to mind, other than the We Here season two years ago, which was obviously one of a kind, my favorite year, like covering the team, I guess you'd say, or like whatever, writing about it, podcasting about it, was the 17 win season four years ago. The season before two thousand, the summer of two thousand nineteen, because it was like, okay, I get what they're doing. They're gonna try to lose a bunch of games. Let's right. see. Let's find some interesting little nooks and crannies, you know, about this roster and see if maybe they uncover something. Let's 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 see what this Mitchell Robinson guy is all about. And no, maybe Frank Milikina wasn't a complete bust. And it's like, you know, and that was that was fun in its own way, in a sh- very strange way. I don't know. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as J.J. does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey guys, quick break to tell you about WinBet, the official sports book of Nick's Film School. Ready to win money and boost your odds? WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. We're bringing the excitement of Win Las Vegas to online sports betting and casino play. Exclusive rewards are right at your fingertips with Win Rewards on WinBet. Get in on all your favorite teams, players, and sports from the NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, golf, MMA, the WNBA, college football, and more. Great promos, odds, and payouts are happening right now at WinBet. From boosted same-game parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet has what you need to win. Ready to play? Sign up today to receive a special offer. Bet 100, win 100. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com. That's wynnbet.com to start winning. Download, bet, win. It's that simple. Hey guys, quick break to tell you about WinBet, the official sports book of Nick's Film School. Ready to win money and boost your odds? WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. We're bringing the excitement of Win Las Vegas to online sports betting and casino play. Exclusive rewards are right at your fingertips with Win Rewards on WinBet. Get in on all your favorite teams, players, and sports from the NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, golf, MMA, the WNBA, college football, and more. Great promos, odds, and payouts are happening right now at WinBet. From boosted same-game parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet has what you need to win. Ready to play? Sign up today to receive a special offer. Bet 100, win 100. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com. That's wynnbet.com to start winning. Download, bet, win. It's that simple. I guess, Andrew, I'll pull you, pull you in now with the with the Mets. I know there was some Mets fans, even before they lost, who felt like this Mets team, uh, you know, who added, you know, who added guys like Scherzer and, and a lot of right, and free agents. It wasn't quite the same as maybe a couple years ago would have been where it was like, you know, your guys you grew up with and won. So forget losing to the Padres. Is it that same idea, right? Where it's like you're saying with the Nets, where if the Mets now this offseason go and get Aaron Judge, and again, Mets fans would love making Yankee fans upset, but if they just go out and sign a bunch of guys and now win because of that. To your point, like, isn't that different than when you say, I suffered through this, you know, 70 win season and I really like Daniel Murphy and I was the one guy who defended Edwin Diaz and now they're good. And now that's re- rewarding or like, what do you think of that? So there's two different things at play though, because with basketball, because only five people can be on the court, there's always going to be that need to see some of those five uh, to be homegrown, which is honestly mostly what the push and pull of this uh the Twitter discourse or whatever it is at this point, it's like, that's why Evan Fournier and Julius Randle and, you know, those guys are points of consternation and not Emmanuel mm-hmm. quickly or Obi Toppin with baseball. Right. You almost kind of need to have 
a mix of the homegrown players and the guys that she went out and got like, Mm -hmm. yes, I would take Aaron judge, but he'd only come up four times a night and play one corner of the field. You know, like Pete Alonzo would still be here. Brandon Nimmo hopefully would still be here. Uh, Jeff McNeil, Francisco Alvarez, Brett Beatty. Like there would be places for the homegrown guys that you got to watch and, and enjoy like, you, I'm, I'm assuming you're referring to 2015 where most of that team was homegrown, yes. but what yeah. put them over the edge was a trade deadline deal for you yeah, and that turned yeah, them right. into a contender, a leadoff hitter and Curtis Granderson that spent three years making the playoffs with the Yankees before he came to the team. So I think there's, I mean, look no further than the Phillies who have, you know, uh, Reese Hoskins as like their, their main homegrown guy. But then, like, Kyle Schwarber, not a homegrown guy. Bryce Harper, not homegrown. Um, right. Raul Muto, not not homegrown. No, like, right. most no, of that I mean, lineup yeah, isn't. Right. So I think it's... obviously, we know. Right. Well, he's not mostly contributing. <laughs> no, but, like, know, Zach know, Wheeler, know, even, right. you know? Yeah, so Zach I think Wheeler. there's... Zach Wheeler's uh, in the World Series? Zach Wheeler is the best pitcher on the Phillies. Yeah, yeah. Wow. yeah, it's funny yes. I said Cindergaard uh, first. I have a friend who's obsessed with Cindergaard, so mm-hmm. he, he always comes to mind. But yeah, Wheeler would have been the most obvious. So but no, no, the you're, point, you're right. you see you my need, point though? It's like you, you can need have the mix, both, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, no, you need the mix. But I guess what I'm getting at is like, it's, um, and it's funny this week, right? So I'm a Jets fan, a Knicks fan, and then I'm a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. They're out of left field, right? Mm. This week though, all of those fan bases have decided to combust at the same time. <laughs> the Jets fan base is combusting uh, right now? Jets because, and, and I was at Sunday's game and, and it was you terrible. You were there? It, oh no. Yes. JB. Yes. Okay. Losing I know to, what happened. to the Patriots. I know they lost to the Patriots and, and correct me if I'm wrong, the quarterback uh, did not have a great game, right? Yeah, really, so bad second half. Wilson, really bad second like, half. Right. So think of Zach Wilson like R.J. Barrett. And it would be like, you're finally good. You're ready to take that next step. And R.J. Barrett goes one for 20 from the field. Like it was kind of that kind of game. Had a bit of an Um, R.J. second half where he couldn't come. A lot of turnovers, too, unfortunately. No, I get some could joke. So basically a normal R.J. game. I get Mm -hmm. it. But and then on top of that, the the leaps, which the. Only because I like them that they have these strange parallels, but they're very similar to the Knicks. They have this huge fan base, arguably the largest in their league, and they haven't been able to win since 1967, right? The Knicks are 1969. And 73. The last time don't, forget, the- don't forget about the second championship. Oh, 73. 73. Yeah, yeah 73. You know yeah. what it is? I'm switching from the Jets. The I'm Jets. switching oh, from the Jets. Yeah. 69. Yeah. So 73. Exactly. But the, and the last time they were in the finals was 94, the Leafs. Um, so uh, same thing as the Knicks, right? 99. But, again, it's selective memory, JB. Jeez. Wasn't the Leafs also 93? Because the Canucks lost to the Rangers in 94. So, okay. Yes. I, I'm, I'll, I'm like I'll look Mad it up. Dog. I'm, like, I'm like Mad Dog now mixing up my dates, right? So the Leafs lost in 93 to the Kings. And then the Kings lost to the Canadians. 94 was the Rangers beating the Canucks. Yes, you're right. And then obviously the Knicks in 99. But the point is, they haven't been good since the 90s where they made that run. And then now the Leafs different than the Knicks. They got, they tanked properly, if some people would call it, and got the top players at the top of the draft. And they actually are a good team. But now they're off to a slow start. And everyone is upset that they're off to a slow start. And I'm bringing all this up to say, even if you are really good, 
right? So let's pretend the Knicks did win 55 games the last couple of years, but then they didn't get over the hump in the playoffs as we remember happening in the 90s. That same frustration that exists now, it's not that it like goes away where you say, oh, I'm at least happy that we're good. It just exists in a different form is what I'm starting to realize. So it's like now the form is like, we just need to be good. I don't care. Before it was that same frustration, but it was, it's just like we need we're, we can't get over the hump. I wonder I don't want I'm wondering as I'm saying it out loud. I don't. I have not thought about this until literally this moment. I wonder what how different people's memories of the '90s would have, the '90s Knicks would have been if there was social media around then. Um, because I, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, but like I, we glorify those years because we were kids for them. But I feel I get the sense that people, well, people may have their quibbles about Ewing. I, I do think. People who are older and experience those times generally romanticize them as well and feel like very good about the times. Now, <laughs> I look over at the Suns, and the Suns were talk about dumpster fire of an organization, the perhaps poster child for dumpster fire organizations, aside from maybe the Kings and I guess the Knicks, over the, the last, you know, whatever it's been since the Nash years. So, you know, for over over a decade. And they've been they've won more games than any team in the sport over the previous two seasons. And if you interacted with an average Suns fan on Twitter over the summer, you would have thought that they were uh, rooting for, I, I I don't know, what's the, what's the most, the Wizards or, you know, or something. Yeah, yeah. No, right. And that, that gets into when I think you're leading into what's the difference covering the, the Knicks and the Mets now is that the Mets got good. And then I literally had people unsubscribe to the newsletter when they lost to the Padres saying, I can't root for this team. They suck. That would be their comment in the feedback. And it's just like, you you just won 100 games. Like, yes, it's baseball. You could lose a random series. That's just how it works, right? But it just, I guess what I'm saying is that, you know, if the theme is like, what's it like as a fan? Like, how do we experience all of this? It's interesting that, you know, no matter whether our team is good or bad, I think part of being a fan in a way is sort of like having this outlet to like get really excited, but also to have that contrast of the frustration. And we almost always need to have that frustration. Whether our team is good or bad, we're going to find a way to have it. We're going to say, you know, Yankee fans know this. Your team wins all the time. If the Knicks were the Yankees, we would all be like, oh, that would be heaven. That'd be great. And then it's like those same people are Yankee fans who complain every single day when all their team does is win, but they don't win whatever that higher barometer is, right? So it's just, you know, it's almost like we always have to have that balance, right? Like we always have to be able to be excited. Like we want to be surprised. If you're a bad team, we want it to be where you prove that you're an average scrappy team. If you're an average scrappy team, we want you to prove that you're a good team. If you're a good team, we want you to prove you're a great team. It's more about that element of surprise, I think, than it is about where you relatively actually end up. I, can I, I, I want to interject because I think there is something unique about basketball fandom. And I think it is unique, certainly to football, because football, and I guess Andrew's chime in here as well. Like you could, you could run a hot streak from your. I mean, 
you know, Joe Flacco, right? Uh, or who was the other crappy Ravens quarterback? That, uh, Elvis Gerback? No, before Gerback. Who won the Super Bowl with? Oh, Trent Delfer. Trent Delfer. Trent Delfer, yes. yes you know, yes. There, there have been maybe some other examples of, of football teams that like just unexpectedly like ran, ran, ran all the way to the Super Bowl. Like you can catch lightning in a bottle. And I feel like baseball isn't this pro- postseason proving proving that you could also do that with the Phillies? Oh, John, this has been Oz and I's biggest debate yes. for years is that the, the playoffs are completely random. So I think if you're an NFL a fan of an NFL team or a fan of a, of a baseball team, there are unique frustrations, whereas in basketball, really, I think without exception, maybe once every 10 to 15 years, there is a team that you did not expect to be a contender for the championship before the season. But by and large, you have a list of in some seasons, it's a list of like three teams. At the absolute max, it is a list of like this season. Maybe you could put could have pushed it to seven teams. Um, you know, it, putting like the Lakers and Nets in their own category because they were just weird. So it was like six or seven teams, and like you know, if you're not in that group, your season does not matter. It like there is no catching lightning in a bottle. That's not going to happen. You are not going to win the championship. So it's like if you know that, then it's all about, well, what are you doing to get to be in that group? And which is why I think it's 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 fun to be a fan of a tanking team. And it's it's and like if you're a fan of that top group, like, okay, you know, one the only one of those teams is obviously gonna win every year, but at least, like, if you're a Celtics fan, I think you could look at last season and feel good about it. Like, yeah, you lost in the finals, but I think Celtics. I, I should probably ask a Celtics fan, but I feel I feel like they could feel pretty good about that season. The Mavs could probably feel pretty good about that season. It's like they came up against the eventual world champions and they lost in the West Conference Finals. Like, it happens. But at least you did what you needed to do to put yourself in the inner circle. Didn't go your way. Doesn't always work out like that, but I I, I think there is that that key difference in, in, in between the sports. No, no, I agree. I think it it makes sense. Um, I think NFL is maybe a little less random because I do think the home field matters. You get in the playoffs, you have that home field, you're, you're going to go. Um, but I, I guess it just, to me, it, it just comes down to, and again, I'm I'm having this perspective because I just went through this with with the Mets losing the way they did and and even seeing other teams, right? The, the Dodgers won 111 games and they, and they lost, right? Um, Who they lose? The Braves to? even lost. The Padres. Oh, okay. The dads. Um, so it's just like all those teams are looked at as failures for this season. And I guess what I'm what I'm trying to get at is just like the Knicks. When I was going through it in the '90s, I remember that's also how they were viewed, especially Patrick Ewing as losers. And it's just, right because they couldn't get over that hump. And it's just like to me, it's like. I think Knicks fans have had long enough time to realize like, no, those were actually the good old days. It's just like anything in life where we always say like, you go through life and you think you're going, you know, you think these times are tough. And then you look back and you say like, actually, these were the best days, right? Like that, that's a little bit how it was. And I guess what it is to me is, and when you look at this team, this season, being a team that is, you know, scrappy, plays hard, you know, surprises you, maybe wins a first round and that's it. I think would end up being one of the funnest Knicks teams to follow. And it's not even followed by a championship. 
So it's interesting in the sense of like, when you're looking at this, like, oh, well, do you trade everything for a star player? Do you do this? To me, the problem the Knicks are having is like, they're so afraid to get caught in that in-between of the, the quote, no man's land of we don't get a lottery pick, but we're also not a playoff contender that they haven't given us much of the like one level in between that of like, you are a really good middle team. That's um, fun to root for. And that that's the part I think that fans at this point are desperate to at least get that, which we had, I guess, two years ago. But, you know, we haven't had much. I, as I just respond to a tweet from uh, Adrian Wojnarowski, the Nets have suspended Kyrie Irving. Oh, oh, this is a thing. There we go. Good. Um, about, that's all I have to say about that. Good. Yeah, I. About time. Yeah, about time. It took a Good. little while. That those those are both um, appropriate responses. He I, he could never play basketball again, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> and it would be too soon. Um, JB, I, I got some bad news for you. The Knicks aren't winning a playoff series this year, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> and and I think actually the one the one thing I'll I'll interject on, I actually think this front office has f- is doing the thing that you you said they're that they're, they're not doing, which is like they are going for the middle ground in the hopes that they could then get f- you know trade for a star and then get from the middle ground to like contention. Where I was going to bring it, and we could you know finish up with this maybe. Is like, and this really, pro- I don't know if this gets in- gets too deep into it, but like, you know, talking about the purposes of fandom and like, why do people root and why do people watch and all that? Like, if I'm sitting here tonight after that Atlanta loss, and I genuinely believe that this front office, the Knicks front office, given what they've done over the last three years, or whatever, and given the roster as it currently stands and the whole the whole thing. That their best odds of actually winning a title, winning a title, winning a title, or at least like genuinely competing for a title, being in that inner circle that I talked about a minute ago, that their best odds of doing that would be if everybody gets fired, right? And they and they bring in a different front office, and Dolan brings in a different front office, and and you know is finally emboldened to say, you know what, do it the way you want to do it. If the garden's empty for a few years or it's tough for me to sell tickets, I don't care. I'm selling the thing anyway. I'm going to get my six or eight, seven or eight billion dollars. Um, you know, that's all that that's all that I care about. Um, if that's what I'm sitting here and thinking right now, I'm like, where does that leave me? Because I'm not going to sit there tomorrow night as I, as I turn on a game against the Sixers and like root for them to lose. I'm still going to root for them to win that game. I've never rooted for the Knicks to lose in my life. But like, I think that really gets at the at the, in, the the quirks of fandom because you could have your opinions, but if you draw your opinions out to the logical conclusion, and I think this is this even has to do with the baseball stuff, right? Those fans yeah. that emailed you or that wrote you back and be like, "I'm not, I'm done with this fucking team. They they stink." You know, I right. I apologize I, for that email, by the way, JB. Yeah, I'll be I'll, give you, I'll be nicer next time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, can I add to this? Because I please, I, yeah, I please. Yeah, to, uh, as somebody who also bit on the KFS pod aside, has also tried to process what this Met season was. Yeah. So this summer, the Minnesota Timberwolves traded for Rudy Gobert, and a lot of people criticized the deal. Like, what are you doing? That doesn't make you a championship contender. You're at best a conference finalist once. 
And there was a, a Timberwolves fan that is like us, a fanalist, right? That covers the team from the perspective of a fan. And he was like, listen, if they make the second round like consistently, like six of the next nine years, or just say like three of the next five, the length of what this core might be together for and the conference finals once. Yes, to all the rest of the world, that might be looked at as a disappointment, but the Timberwolves have made the playoffs twice since 2004. I will rejoice getting to watch that team. And there's a push and pull, I think, at the second time I've said that, but I think that's that's really the back and forth of whether like this Met season for me was time well spent. That was six months watching a baseball team every single day. Was that time well spent? And the way the season ended initially was like, damn, I was really enjoyable, but it ended with such heartbreak. And what honestly got me over it, and it's why, John, you're right. Basketball is so unique. When the you brought up the example of the Mavericks and the Celtics, and it was like you could look back and say that was time well spent. We lost to a better team, the NBA champion, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Mets lost to a team that got eliminated by the team that finished in third place in their division. Yeah. So I like baseball, it's so much more it's so much less it's so much harder to take. And I've like said this, like baseball's become hockey where it's like, just make the playoffs and maybe something good will happen. Just get hot at the right time and you'll be fine. And what baseball's now become, it's like we're further and further away from the best team being crowned champion at the end of the year. It's just Mm -hmm. the hottest team for three weeks in September, in October. And with basketball, it's really the only sport left. I think we're really the best team wins every year outside of most football. I think, (laughs) More it's than close, not, but, but we're like Joe Burrow right. and, the, and the Bengals made the Super Bowl last year. That's another you know, example. Right. It's close, right? It's close, but no. But I, I think what it is is, and and I don't know enough about European soccer, but people tell me that it's like this. It's really we as fans, especially in this country, we make it where the playoffs, and I think especially even in New York, and partly because growing up with the Yankees, right. Where it was like October means the most, the playoffs yeah. mean the most. That I think it, it really, to me, it's, it's just a psychological thing of deciding it is harder to win 100 games in baseball and win the division than it is to win a World Series. The meta, you know, it's, it's infrequent that it happens that you win that many games, right? Um, but any team can go on a hot streak and win and win the World Series, right? You know, we've seen that. So I think it's just more a psychological thing. And that's why I come back to, um, <laughs> I guess I'm just like almost pleading to fans to be like, why not just enjoy it for what it is? Like you're watching a random game in June, if you're a baseball fan, a random game in November, February. if you're a, a Knicks fan, you're watching it because... I always say this to my wife. It's like, it makes an ordinary night extraordinary. That's why I grew up liking sports. Because when I was a kid, and at that time, my dad had tickets to the Whalers hockey. We would go to a game on a Tuesday night. And while every other kid was getting tucked in, going to bed, we were watching the Whalers beat the Canadians in overtime. And that night, that meant something to me. That was exciting. And I think that's to me what it's about. And I think we lose that because we're so focused on how does this team fit in overall picture? How do we put them historically? If they choke in the playoffs, they're chokers. 
It's like, no, you're, you're watching them. So on the majority of the nights you consume them, they give you something fun. And that's how we would view a play, right? If you go down to Broadway, you wouldn't yeah. be like, oh, you know, Hamilton was great, but then they had a bad month in November. So now they suck. Like no one would say that. It'd be like the night I went, it was entertaining and I liked it. And that was it. Bruce Springsteen, I went and saw him on date 20 of his 67 dates on tour and it was good. I don't care how he was on date 67. And I think in sports, we like lose that a little bit. Um, so none of this, though, by the way, makes us feel much better about the Knicks because I'm worried I was about that to say, even on day this is 20, very much in an, a commentary on the the Mets and the Yankees yes, fans. The Knicks yes, fans so you, haven't had enjoyable nights yes, for the yes. last year and a half. And I, I, would just, I would just throw in very briefly. I do think, as I'm listening to you talk about it, the deeper in the weeds you are, specifically about a basketball team, I think the less enjoy the, the the harder it can be potentially to enjoy it. Not always. Again, and that's, I think I'll, I'll end it here. That's why you took off way back when is because you took a team that was for me, for most casual fans unwatchable with literally nothing about it that made even remotely, a, a, a you know, the, the least bit of, um, of positive, you know, it left the least bit of positive impact. And you found these little, these little glimmers of hope, and you gave that to people, and it, it created a different way to engage with the sport. And now, I see I'm blaming you for all social media ills. And now that has morphed into who I think something else where there is like there can be a level of of obsession on social media that it does make it tough to, as you're saying. Just sit down and enjoy a basketball game, you know, because right, you're so right. you're, you're thinking about so many Because if, if they win, it's like, oh, they won, but they didn't have the right guys, you know, they didn't have the right minutes mix yeah. and all this stuff. And it's just like, yeah, again, it, it is true. What I'm speaking of is, is a little more on the baseball side, but I do think it does, it does still equate to the Knicks because it's saying there were fans that didn't want to trade for Donovan Mitchell because they're worried about what you give up. And they're just so focused on the like transactional analysis that they lose sight of like, wouldn't it just be, be enjoyable fun. as a fan to watch, to watch this guy play basketball for your favorite team? You know what I mean? Like that's the part we're losing because we want to sit there and be like, well, you know, how did they negotiate this point? And they made this offer in June and then it turned to this in July. And then it's just even with Carmelo, I was thinking about this today. <laughs> we all agree they gave up too much to trade for Carmelo. That's yeah. a fact. Uh, okay. But... But this is where I guess I'm saying it's not a fact. <laughs> but like we saw with Donovan Mitchell, no one, no one predicted. So if the Knicks had traded for Donovan Mitchell early on in the process, no one, all the stories would have been written as like, oh, the Knicks were competing against nobody. No one else had an offer. We later found out someone else did have an offer. That was Cleveland, right? So it's easy to say the Knicks could have just signed Carmelo for nothing. But what you don't know is like something could have happened that would have changed that course. And there is a That's generation a of Knicks fans now who have grown up in that Carmelo era, I'll call it, who that was that meant something to them that they got to watch him as part of the team. And we want to just take that away because it was like, 
Well, if you didn't do the perfect trade or you didn't do the perfect signing, then you shouldn't have done it. Well, it, it doesn't often work out perfect. It's usually messy. It's an absolutely phenomenal point because there are young people, young people younger than, than me. And honestly, people not that much younger than me. And, you know, one of them's on this podcast right now um, who look at those Carmelo years and particularly 2012, 13, the way that we look at the 90s and hold it in the same in the same reverence. Um it's a great point. It's a great point and good good spot to to finish up. Um JB before we let you go, can you um remind the folks at home or let the folks at home know who maybe not, you know, you got to make up for some of those subscribers you lost that um told you this team sucks. I'm not going <laughs> to read your newsletter anymore. Where can they where can they get all their information about the Mets? Well, well, it, there's the Mets and there's Mets fix, but also I realize I'm on Minute 55 of the Knicks Film School podcast. I don't know about the crossover on this, but we also do have an Islanders newsletter. So Isles Fix, uh, just Google Isles Fix and you can check that out. Um, eh. That's really what's in season now. I know there's <laughs> Ranger fans, right? Yes. I, I'm interested in that crossover, right? Knicks and, and Islanders. I don't know. But but that's what I'm pushing tonight is Isles Fix. So check that out. Um, it is hockey season, baseball season. We'll, we'll see as we get into the off season, it'll be more interesting, but obviously Mets fix too. Uh, but check out Isles fix for sure. First of all, shout out. I will shout out Isles fix. Cause I, I remember Isles blog. I used to work, I used to collaborate with Joe and all the guys over there. So they're okay, good. Great. Yeah, they're yeah. good people. Yeah, Joe, and I, Joe does a great job. Yes. I, they're good people over there. If you're an Islanders fan, check them out. Um, the links will be in the description, both on YouTube and on the, the podcast. Um, my fiance, a gigantic Ranger fan, uh, she passes UBS Arena every day on the cross island on her way to oh, work. Okay. And every <laughs> yeah. time we pass it together, we boo it collectively. It's like it's like uh, it's basically date night as we go we go boo it, right? UBS Arena. Exactly. It's part of the Do rituals. they still yell Potvin sucks? Yes, at Ranger Games. Yes. Okay. Yes, there's actually socks now. You can get Potvin pot socks. Potvin socks. There you go. I hope she's not listening because that's now a stocking sock. Great. Um, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> JB, you're a, listen. <laughs> there's a reason we we uh, we we didn't last making Nick's content together thanks to the crappy team, but we've remained still great friends. Um, I love talking to you about this stuff. It really is fantastic. Uh, everybody out there, please. Isles Fix, if you're even remotely interested about hockey, they do great work and goes without saying. Mets Fix, um, just as good. Jeffrey Ballone, next film school himself, the one and only. Thank you. Sign all the way off. Oh, and thank you for listening to another episode of the Next Film School Podcast. Maybe by year 10, I'll get it right. Um, we'll be back with you. Uh, with Philly pre and post game? Yes, uh, tonight. Yes, tonight and uh, yeah, Boston Saturday. Me and Jeremy coming up after that. All the all the usual stuff. Stay tuned. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. 
The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com